The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 24th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, the woman came to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, Suddenly, two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you when he's still in Galilee that the Son of Man must rise, must be handed over to sinners, be crucified and on the third day, rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and other women who were with them who told this to the disciples. But it seemed to them an idle tale, and that they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and they went home amazed by what he had happened. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Some of you were here this morning when I was, I mislaid my sermon, and uh, I found it, fortunately for you. Um, one of my seminary pastors began, preaching pastor began by saying, I didn't have the time to write a short sermon today, so, so this is going to be pretty long. <laughs> I promise you it won't be that long. Well, there's a 200-year gap between 1779, when my sixth great-grandfather, who was also a pastor, died, and 1980, when I was ordained. Over those 200 years, the role of my family was to endure sermons of other people, <laughs> some for good and some for bad, unless, of course, you count the sermons, the lectures that my father gave to me about the things I did wrong. I was therefore amazed in seminary to find that many of my seminary classmates were sons and grandsons of other pastors. And now, 40 years after my ordination, I can even tell you that there are daughters of my female classmates who are now being ordained, beginning a new feminine dynasty in clergy. A pastor friend of mine was born in the early 1940s. And he was the son and grandson of Lutheran pastors. His father was away as a chaplain during World War II, so he and his mom lived with his grandparents. As a young boy, he would often sit in the lap of his grandfather as his grandfather practiced his half-hour sermons. And my friend said it was comforting to him to sit nestled under his grandfather's arm not only to hear that Tenoria's voice, but also to feel it 
right up against his chest as he could feel the rumblings of that beautiful baritone voice as he practiced those 30-minute sermons. Historians will tell you that at least from the 1750s to the 1950s, the average sermon lasted about half an hour. For example, I have a facsimile of a sermon that my ancestor preached in 1753 that's about 5,000 words long and would take anywhere between a half an hour and 40 minutes to, to read, and they would read them at that point, depending on how fast you read if it. If you read as fast as I did, it'd be the full 40 minutes. But remember, that was the average. Robert Ellison, historian of preaching, I don't know why he was that, but he is, said that, that although 30 minutes was about the average, you had young preachers who would preach maybe 15 minutes, but some really experienced preachers who would preach up to an hour, including one named uh, E.B. Pusey, who, as his biographer said unkindly, could not preach anything less than that. Let me promise to you now that this sermon will not be as long as my friend's grandfather, my great ancestor, or even E.B. Pusey. It will be relatively short. Well, as my friend's grandfather was preaching at this congregation. They loved him as much after World War II as they did during the war. And so he wound up staying there for over 30 years. He served three full generations, often going through complete cycles of birth, baptism, confirmation, marriage, death. He was with these families through all those events. He saw people grow up before his eyes and saw families grieve their loved ones. He loved and trusted them. They loved and trusted him also and absorbed his sermons so much that they could almost tell exactly where he was going after each and every sermon. One February Sunday in the 1960s, he announced that he was going to retire as of May 1st. By the beginning of April, a uh, replacement for him had already been named. And that Easter, the church was packed to the gills from both parishioners and well-wishers, people that had come back from many places, to hear his last sermon. They wanted to hear the last words, the final thoughts on the resurrection. Well, the church had one of those high pulpits. And he ascended the high pulpit and looked out over the congregation, both down in the nave and also up in the balconies. And, and there was no blank space anywhere. It was just packed. An astute observer would have recognized that he did not have a manuscript with him. But he got up there, surveyed the congregation, and said just these words. 
Behold, I tell you a mystery. On this day, Christ rose from the dead. Because of this act of God's love, we have been given new life. Remember this always. Amen. He then turned, walked down the stairs to his seat, and nodded to the organist to play the hymn. This sermon, lasting exactly 12 and a half seconds, was the summation of all his preaching over 30-some years, the result of 30 years of thinking on the resurrection, and all that being boiled down to 12 and a half seconds. Behold, I tell you a mystery. On this day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Because of this act of God's love, we have been given new life. Remember this always. Amen. Well, I'm sure for those who grew up on, on Frederick's sermons for 30 years and knew that they lasted 30 minutes, this 12 and a half second capsule would have surprised them, even as it made perfect sense to them. But what do those 12 and a half seconds mean to us who do not have the 30 years experience with Frederick to understand his thinking. We need to unpack his words at least for a few more minutes. Behold, I tell you a mystery, Frederick intoned, and that reminds us of the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, 15th chapter, that these people would have known well since he used that piece of scripture for almost every funeral that he gave in that church. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, it's twinkling of an eye, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Behold, I tell you a mystery, says Paul mystery which Paul is almost the only person who uses in the New Testament. Behold, I tell you a mystery. You might remember that this past Monday, Thursday, when Pastor Luther was up here and talking about communion, he said that he regretted or lamented that denominations spent so much time arguing about what communion actually meant, how it happened, that they lost the essence of communion, which is the mystery of it. The mystery of communion is that Christ gives himself to us in the bread and wine. So Pastor Luther just said simply, accept this mystery of Christ and bread and wine as God's gift to you. Don't worry so much how it happens. The same can be said about the resurrection. There cannot and should not be an easy way to explain it. In 1939, Winston Churchill famously said about Russia that it was a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. And in Churchill's words, and 
Churchill's words as recently as these past weeks with the events in Ukraine remind us that Russia still is that enigma to us. Well, if a nation made up of human beings can be an enigma to us, then how much more should a mystery of God be to us? How much more mysterious can God's words of mystery be? For us to try and understand the mystery of God is like a beetle that finds its way inside a 747 airplane and doesn't know what it is and can't fly it, but suddenly when it takes off, he's going to parts unknown. Even though the beetle, the bug, doesn't understand what's happening, we do because we know what a plane is all about. But we are like that bug, being taken on a journey. We do not know where it is going. We only know that we're going there, and we trust that God will take us there because God is a God of love. On this day, Christ Jesus rose from the dead because of this God's love. We have been given a new life. Friedrich continued with these words, and these words echo that of the women in our gospel today, who when they go to the tomb and find it empty, and despair because it's empty, hear the voices of the angels saying, he is not here, he's gone before you, just as he promised. They trusted that word, and they went off, to tell the disciples. Think of it. At a time when women, like children, were to be seen and not heard, the fact that these women were the first to see and hear of the resurrection is astonishing. Something not held, not believed, because it was a woman speaking about Christ's resurrection. And yet, this is a story that has been passed down to us, that the women were first to tell the resurrection. A Catholic nun who is a friend of mine who lives in Chicago has fought for many years for the ordination of women in conservative churches like the Catholic Church. She's argued to the anyone who would argue with her about why women can't be ordained, and says, well, if you believe that literally women can't be ordained because they're not men, like the Bible says, then literally the only people that should ever preach on the resurrection are women, because they're the first ones to preach at the tomb. They were the first ones to preach God's good news. And this astonishing revelation given first to women, delivered by them to the apostles and the other believers, spread like wildfire. This holy act of God was so mysterious and yet so astounding and so marvelous that it even spread to a person like St. Paul, who, as he was named Saul, 
used to persecute fellow Christians. The power of the resurrection story compels us and brings us ever closer to the mystery that is God. Lastly, Pastor Frederick said, remember this always. Those were the last words to the congregation. Remember this always. The mystery and the power of the resurrection is not just for one minute or one day or even one lifetime. Rather, the power of the resurrection was there before we were born, stretches out through our life before us to an infinite horizon, lasting well beyond when this planet fails and when the, star, the stars are no more. God's love would be there for us and with us forever. And so I repeat to you the words that Frederick spoke some 60 years ago. Behold, I tell you a mystery. On this day, Christ Jesus rose from the dead. Because of this act of God's love, we have been given new life. Remember this always. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.